today we're talking about going to talk about the seventh commandment thou shall not steal so the seventh commandment forbids unjustly taking or keeping the goods of one's neighbor and wronging him in any way with respect to his goods it commands justice and charity in the care of earthly goods and the fruits of men's of man's labor so for the sake of common good it requires respect for the universal destination of goods later i will qualify what that means and respect for the right to private property christian life strives to order this world's goods to god and to fraternal charity we're going to talk about the universal destiny and private ownership of goods the use of goods with temperance justice and solidarity we have respecting the goods of others we talk a little about the social doctrine of the church and then economic activity and social justice we talk about justice and charity so there so now we go to the first topic universal destiny of private ownership and goods what does this mean in the beginning god entrusted the earth and its resources to the common stewardship of mankind to take care of them master them by labor and enjoy their fruits the goods of creation are destined for the whole human race so it's telling us that the appropriation of property is legitimate for guaranteeing the freedom and dignity of persons and for helping each of them to meet his basic needs and the needs of those in charge but this right to private property acquired or received in a just way does not do away with the original gift of the earth to the whole of humankind so that is what we mean by universal destiny of goods that the whole creation was destined for the whole of humankind that god destined um, the whole of creation for the whole of humankind so this universal predestination of goods remains primordial even if the promotion of the common good requires respect for the right to private property and its exercise so the virtual poverty which is part of temperance is not a matter of not possessing things but of not being attached to material goods or being happy with what suffices for a sober and moderate life as well as administering goods as a service to others our lord himself gave us an example of poverty and detachment right from his coming into this world we see him right there in the well, in the manger in the stables and right up to his death on the cross not even the place where he rests um it was owned by arimathea it was not his or it was not his family's likewise it uh, warns us of the harm attachment to riches can cause we read from saint matthew it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven 
So we were saying no, the universal destiny of goods. In his use of things, man should regard the external goods he legitimately owns not merely as exclusive to himself, but common to others also, in the sense that they can benefit others as well as himself. So man is just a steward of providence with the task of making whatever God gave him or whatever he has fruitful and communicating its benefits to others. First of all, to his family. Marxism, socialism, and communism in seeking, among other things, the complete subordination of the individual to society denies the right of the person to private ownership of the goods of production. So what are the goods of production? We're talking of land, um, equipment, horses, factories, uh, these things that are needed in order to produce other goods. It affirms that only the state can possess these goods as the condition for instituting a classless society. So the church has rejected totalitarian and atheistic ideologies associated with modern times now with communism or socialism. The church has always has also refused to accept um, individualism and the absolute primacy of the law of the marketplace over human labor, which is very similar to capitalism, is what we call commutative justice, commutative uh, between two people. And then there's also what we call uh, distributive justice, which regulates what the community owes its citizens in proportion to their contributions and needs. So what it is important to note there is in proportion to their contribution and needs. You might be contributing fewer, but because your need is bigger, then you should receive more because that is what you need. And then there's also some uh, legal justice like um, paying our taxes. Um, justice with regard to a citizen and his community. Material goods, but more so in the sharing of spiritual goods. Now we go to respecting the goods of others. So the seventh commandment forbids taking or keeping unjustly what is our neighbor's or causing him unjust harm in his material goods. So I will hand down a few of the actions that um, have a relation to the seventh command, commandment. So theft and stealing is taking another's goods secretly. And then robbery is the violent seizing of another's goods. And then fraud is to deceive one's neighbor with traps, false documents, or withholding a just salary. And then usury is claiming greater interest than is lawful for the amount loaned 
or in general, it is taking advantage of a neighbor in financial difficulty. So speculation is to contrive to manipulate price of goods artificially, either up or down to benefit a specific group or a specific person. And then corruption is to influence the judgment of those who make decisions to favor um, a particular group or person. And then corruption also is the appropriation and use for private purposes of the common goods of an enterprise or to do work poorly or to evade paying taxes, to forge checks and invoices, or to excessive expenses and waste. No? That, is not to, that goes, all of those things that I mentioned goes against the seventh commandment. So willfully damaging private or public property is contrary to the moral law and requires reparation. Reparation, what does it mean to repair, to try to set right, to fix? So contracts are subject to commutative justice and um, it regulates exchanges between persons in accordance with the strict respect for their rights. It requires safeguarding property rights, paying debts, and fulfilling obligations freely contracted. So there is an obligation to make reparation for everyone. So anyone committing an injustice must make reparation for the harm caused in so insofar as is possible. If it is uh, with regard to material things, then there's a need to restitution or at least the desire and intention to do so because you cannot really be you cannot really say that you are sorry if the intention and desire to return what you have taken is there if it is not there then you are really not sorry this is necessary to receive a sacramental absolution from the sin against the seventh commandment. So the duty of restitution is an urgent obligation. So physical or moral impossibility of making reparation or of making restitution for stolen goods, as long as it lasts, excuses the person from the duty to reimburse. So the duty can be eliminated if, for example, the debt is pardoned by the creditor. Now we go to the social doctrine of the church. So the social doctrine is the collection of teachings on the principles that should guide mankind's social life. It gives special emphasis on the dignity of the human person and the inviolability of his rights. A second aspect of... <clears throat> The social doctrine of the church is the recognition that the family is the basic cell of society. Founded on indissolubility of marriage, 
and the need to protect it and foster it. And then the third is the recognition of the common good and the role of the state. So on these three major um, considerations rest the social doctrine of the church. This is why when the magisterium refers to temporal aspects of the common good, it does so insofar as they should be ordered to the supreme good, which is our ultimate destiny. What is the supreme good? That we enjoy um, heaven, that we enjoy, we be able to see God face to face uh, when we die. So that is the supreme good. So the church gives moral judgment on economic and social questions when required for the fundamental rights of the person or to save souls. So we should um, emphasize that it is not the role of the pastors of the church to intervene directly in the political structuring and organization of social life. This is the task and vocation of the lay faithful, acting on their own initiative with their fellow citizens. Human work proceeds directly from persons created in the image of God and called to prolong the work of creation by subduing the earth, both with and for one another. Therefore, work is a duty. If one, anyone will not work, let him not eat. So we read that in Thessalonians. So work honors the creator's gifts and the talents received from him can also be redemptive. So by working in union with Jesus, we collaborate with the Son of God in his redemptive work. Work is a means of sanctifying persons and earthly realities animating them with the spirit of Christ. We see that God needs man's work as well in order to create something beautiful. Man's work in itself is not enough, but in a way that it is necessary. So in working, everyone has the right of economic initiative. Everyone should make legitimate use of his talents to contribute to the abundance that will benefit all and to harvest the just fruits of his labor. He should seek to observe regulations issued by legitimate authority for the sake of the common good. The responsibility of the state is to foster economic activity, especially the activity of a market economy, which asks that there be peace in the environment and stability and efficient public services. Therefore, the principal task of the state is to guarantee this security so that those who work and produce can enjoy the fruits of their labors and thus feel encouraged to work efficiently and honestly. So those responsible for business enterprises have an obligation to consider the good of persons and not only to increase profits. Profits are necessary, however. They make possible the investments that ensure the future of a business and they guarantee employment. So those directing businesses are responsible to society 
for the economic and ecological effects of their operations. So access to employment and to professions must be open to all without unjust discrimination. Men and women, healthy and disabled, natives and immigrants. So for its part, society should, according to circumstances, help citizens find work and employment. So a just wage is the legitimate fruit of work. To refuse or withhold it can be a grave injustice. So that word, social justice, that expression came into use in the 20th century to refer to the universal dimension. Society ensures social justice when it provides the conditions that allow associations or individuals to obtain what is their due, according to their nature and their vocation. What is justice and solidarity between nations? Rich nations have a grave moral responsibility toward those who are unable to ensure the means of their development by themselves or have been prevented by doing so for, from doing so by tragic historical events. So it is a duty in solidarity and charity. It is also an obligation in justice if the prosperity of the rich nations has come from resources that have not been paid for fairly. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we see this in what is happening now in, in America, where in South America, where we hear of caravans of people walking from South America, Bolivia, Paraguay, Colombia. They're walking as groups to get to Mexico and from Mexico hoping to get into, into America, the, into the United States of America because they feel that maybe where they are, there's no future for their children. And we see here also uh, maybe a lack of solidarity of North America with South America. I do not know why, but I, I have the impression that North America helps Asia more than South America. I don't know. Maybe because that's the news that um, I see a lot of because I'm here. But it seems that they have not been able to help South America as much. For them, it is a big problem, these economic refugees and these um, migrants. But they can solve it. They cannot, they cannot just solve it by erecting a wall. They have to create a situation where these people will not want to leave their countries. So direct aid is an appropriate response to immediate extraordinary needs caused by natural catastrophes and epidemics. But it does not suffice to repair the grave damage resulting from poverty or to provide a lasting solution to a country's needs. So it cannot be always just what direct aid, um, US aid, because there's an epidemic or there's an 
big typhoon or a catastrophe. Rich nations should want that these weaker nations be able to eventually um, fend for themselves. It is also necessary to reform international, economic, and financial institutions so that they will make possible and promote equitable relations with less developed countries. So I suppose you all have read about Sri Lanka and how there are no classes going on because teachers cannot go to school, students cannot go to school because they don't have access to gasoline because the country cannot buy gasoline because they have run out of foreign currency. And uh, they say because of the Rajapaksas, maybe, or maybe because their leaders were not wise enough to uh, choose projects no, that will be able to pay what they loaned for. Apparently, they, had, uh, they were given loans in order to set up big infrastructure projects. But in terms of efficiency or effectiveness of the projects, the projects themselves were not able to generate the money needed to pay back the interest. So we go to justice and charity. Charity, which is the form of all virtues, is at a higher level than justice. It is shown not only or even principally by giving more than is owed in strict justice. So charity consists above all in giving oneself, since that is what love is, and must always accompany justice enlivening it from the inside. Oh, it is a giving of oneself. It is not just giving something of oneself. It is giving your whole self. That is what charity is. So this union of justice and charity is shown in giving what is owed with joy, in a concern not only for the rights of others, but also for their needs, and generally in practicing justice with refinement and understanding. So justice must always be informed by charity. So it is fruitless to try to resolve the problems of people living together simply with justice, and understood as synonymous with adequate functioning of social structures. Because when you are dealing with problems, Try not to exaggerate justice to the point of forgetting charity. So in caring for those who are in need, the poor and the sick, for example, justice and charity are both required. So society will never reach the point where personal attention to the material and spiritual needs of one's neighbor is superfluous. Carrying out works of mercy, both material and spiritual, will always be necessary. So love or charity will always be necessary, even in the most just of all societies. So no political order, however just it may be, can make justice prompted by love superfluous. Anyone who wants to live out love is going to neglect man as a human person and man as an image of God. So we have to recognize that there will always be suffering. 
there will always be calling for advice and help. There will always be loneliness. There will always be situ situations of material need necessitating help that shows concrete love for one's neighbor. So the state that wants to provide everything, that takes over everything, ends up as a bureaucracy that cannot ensure the most essential need of suffering man or any human being, it is, which is an affectionate personal attention. So human misery draws down the compassion of Christ, the Savior, who wished to take it upon himself, identifying himself with the least of his brothers. So this is why those who suffer in misery are the object of a preferential love on the part of the church, which, since the very beginning, has never ceased working to alleviate their suffering and to protect them. Um, I think they say that there will always be suffering, always be loneliness, there will always be poverty because we are not yet in heaven. And in the Our Father, we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that is what we pray in the Our Father, that his kingdom come here on earth. So until the kingdom comes, we should be uh, not be surprised when things are not perfect, when people get sick, when people fall into financial difficulties, because that is part and parcel of life on earth and being a child of God. Mm -hmm.